Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So one of the things that we do around here is uh, often we, we tackle topics in a series. And so we kind of take a big concept and we break it down over a couple weeks. And so if you've been with us over the last couple weeks, we did a, a four-part series on burnout where we talked about how burnout can affect every one of us. And we talked about kind of four steps to how can you eventually get to the point of living a burnout-proof life. And so if that's something you are interested in, um, we put all our series up as a podcast on our website. You're always welcome to check it out at your own time, on your own pace, and you can have it with you wherever you go. And so this week, we're launching into a new sermon series called Faith Steps. And we're going to be talking about three practical steps that we can take if you want to grow in your relationship with God, if you want to grow deeper in your faith, these are three practical, easy steps that you can take. And one of the reasons we're talking about this way is because one of our beliefs as a church is that everyone is on a spiritual journey. God deeply loves every single one of us. God deeply desires to be in a relationship with every single one of us. But sometimes we feel close to God and sometimes we feel far and distant. And what the truth is, is where you're at right in this moment doesn't really matter. What matters is are we choosing to take a step forward and be on a trajectory towards growing in our walk with God or going deeper in our faith? It's about a trajectory. It's about movement more than just where you're at right now. And so that's really what this sermon series is about. Are we moving? Um, Where are we headed? And what are some of those steps that we can take that will help us move forward in our spiritual journey? Now, most of you have probably been on a road trip at some point. And now, for my generation and younger, there was a time when you didn't have an iPhone or an Android phone in your pocket. And so if you had to figure out where to go, there was this thing called a paper map. You know, big sheet of paper with squiggly lines and little writing all over it. See, our spiritual journey is kind of like a map sometimes, because when you pull out a map, you've got to find two things. You've got to find where you're going and where you are right now. See, with my phone, it's super easy because it immediately puts this little blue dot, oh, there I am. That's great. Now, if you're pulling out a paper map, there's no hovering blue dot that says where you are. And so you have to start with this and say, you know, where am I right now in order to figure out where I'm trying to go? You know, you'd have to find a landmark near where you are. Maybe it's an intersection of two highways or a town. And then you've got to find that somewhere on the map. And then you can chart out where you're trying to go. See, what's different though when it comes to our spiritual journey and our walk with God is that starting point doesn't matter. What matters is what's the destination because your starting point might be completely different from the person sitting next to you. Your starting point on where you are right now might be completely different from anyone else sitting in the room. But what matters is saying what's the trajectory we're on. Are we all choosing to say we want to move forward and we want to step closer to God and deeper in our walk with him? Now, one of the things we also do around here I want to invite you to is you can pull out your phone. Uh, Your paper map might not help you at this moment, but this is something phones can do. Is uh, If you have the YouVersion Bible app installed and you go to the Events tab, uh, or you can download the app, it's a quick download, you can go to the Events tab and find our church, and you can follow along with what we're going to do this morning right on your phone. And the other thing we do is I'm going to ask a couple questions as we go, and I want to invite you to click the little link, and you can respond to those questions. And we're going to discuss these things together before we wrap up. Because 
And the reason I bring this up right now, because we're going to go to those questions, one, the first question right away. But here's our key concept for this whole series. And, uh, and we're just going to lay this out right at the bat and say this is our whole kind of plan we're trying to get to. Because the truth is, if we want to grow in our faith, our outward lives have to match our inward beliefs. How we live our lives has to match and fit who we, what we believe inwardly. And so oftentimes, growing in our faith is actually about getting these two things to line up. Getting the practice of how we live our lives on a regular basis, and also getting what we believe about God and what God tells us about who we are, helping those two things to match up is part of how we grow deeper. And we're going to unpack this kind of over this week and the next two together. But here's the first question that I want to ask that you can respond to on your phone. What are some signs that your outward life doesn't match your inward beliefs? What are some signs and, and maybe things that might pop up that help you realize that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not really, these things aren't in alignment right now. These things might be a little off. See, I don't know exactly where you're at when you came in here this morning. Maybe you've been part of this church for a long time and you've said, you know, your faith is, is part of who you are. You've come to believe and recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God who stepped into the world to make a way for us. Maybe you're here because you've got some questions and you're kind of questioning and wondering, what is faith all about? What is church all about? What, what does it mean to be a Christian? Or maybe you're here because your family of uh, one of the kids that was getting dedicated and you're here just to be part of that time. And so I want to invite you though, whatever your background is, today we're talking about some, this, this whole outward lives and inward beliefs is really about authenticity. And authenticity isn't something just for Christians, isn't just for the church. It's a human thing that we have to wrestle with. Authenticity is something every one of us, regardless of what we believe, we have to wrestle with. Because the truth is, no one sets out to be inauthentic. No one sets out and says, I don't want what I believe and how I act to not line up. You know, we have this innate, implanted desire that authenticity is something good, that we want to be real. We want to make sense when we, when we connect with people. And there's a second reason that's maybe a little more applicable to the church is that oftentimes the authenticity is where the church as a whole has struggled. You know, there's often times where, where people will point out contradictions between what we say we believe and what we say we follow when we talk about how Jesus teaches us to live. And sometimes there's gaps between that and how we actually live. And so those inconsistencies are things that we actually have to address and take steps towards being authentic. And correcting that takes making changes. And so that's why this question, what are some signs that our outward life doesn't match our inward beliefs? It's the first step to recognizing, hey, maybe there's a change that I need to make in my life. That's what I want to encourage you to, to if, if a thought comes to your mind, put it in there. We're going to come back to it in a moment. So if we want to get to authentic faith, if we want to take those steps forward on our walk with God, we're going to talk today about one of the oldest practices of the church, and that practice is baptism. See, just before Jesus stepped into the world, God did something else miraculous, and Elizabeth and, and John, another, or Elizabeth and Zechariah had a son named John, and John got titled John the Baptist. And he kind of appears right early on in the Gospels, then he appears a couple times again. But John the Baptist was kind of 
if he was alive today, we'd describe him as kind of this wild mountain man. Like kind of this, you know, he lived outside of the cities. He made his clothes out of woven camel hair, which would have just been rough and uncomfortable. He ate locusts and honey. You know, he was just this weird dude. But God sent John the Baptist for a specific purpose. See, John the Baptist was to be this messenger that was going to start and kind of awaken things around to make the culture ready for Jesus. John the Baptist had a purpose. And so he started, as he would travel, he would teach and he would proclaim and he'd tell people, you need to come back to God. You need to come back to what it means to be in a relationship with God. You need to recognize what you're doing that is actually leading you away from God and make a choice to come back to God. And so he called people to repent. And the word repent means to turn away from one thing and to turn towards another. Basically, you know, pull a 180 to make a change in your life. And as this sign of repentance, John the Baptist, and and he gathered this group of disciples around him, would baptize people. When people came and they heard him speak and they said, you know, yes, I need to do this. I need to turn from the path I'm on and turn towards God. They would be baptized. And John, now baptism wasn't a new concept for the Jewish people living in first century Israel. See, baptism actually traces back to one of their own spiritual practices that's a little older. And what they would do is it was called a ritual cleansing. And before a good faithful Jew would go to the temple to offer a sacrifice, they'd go through this this cleansing process where they would wash themselves in a ritual way. And the purpose of this was really something about, was about separation, about recognizing they were trying to separate whatever sin, whatever they had that was separating them from God, and they were trying to, to kind of symbolically wash it away, what was separating them from God, to step forward to come to the temple. But John practiced it differently. In fact, John made three changes to baptism that were different from the way it had been practiced by the Jewish people for thousands of years. See, John the Baptist talked about transformation, not separation. He talked about people being transformed by what God was calling them to do, by hearing the message that John was calling out. It was about transformation. Secondly, John the Baptist baptized people publicly. They would be in the Jordan River or whatever body of water was nearby, and they would do it together and they would celebrate it. The ritual cleansing that the Jewish people did was something they would do alone, privately, in preparation And the other thing that John did is he only baptized people once. It was a mark of transformation, a mark of repentance, a mark of change, not something that would be repeated every time you were going to go to the temple or to the synagogue. See, John the Baptist was shifting this whole understanding of baptism for first century Judea. And then Jesus starts his ministry. And when Jesus came of age and it was time to start, probably around 30 years old, Jesus came to John. It was the first thing he did. Even before he gathered disciples, before he taught a single thing, he came to John. So Jesus went from Galilee, where he kind of grew up and was living, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. John said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. He said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. See, Jesus knew that this baptism was the starting point. And John knows that Jesus is the Son of God. John knows so much more about Jesus than anyone else knows at this point. 
but he, but he agrees to what Jesus' request, and he baptizes Jesus. And let me share with you what happens. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. In fact, the, the heavens were opened. The actual Greek word uses a word that isn't just like a door opening and closing. It's about like cloth being ripped and torn apart in a way it could never be mended again. This is a, a tearing open, and the Holy Spirit comes and descends on Jesus. And a voice from heaven says, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. See, this moment, Jesus' baptism, is kind of this kickoff moment to Jesus' entire ministry. This is the starting place. And what is significant about it is it marks this moment when the Holy Spirit descends and Jesus becomes empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do, to carry on and to to carry out what God has sent him to do. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, he preached a very similar message to what John did. He called people to repent, to turn away from the way they were living and turn back into a relationship with God. And as a sign of that, Jesus had his disciples baptize people to recognize and to mark that transformation, to mark that change from being far from God to choosing to say we want to walk towards God. Now, Jesus himself didn't baptize people, but he had his disciples do it because he was trying to to promote and, and share with them to say this is something for the church to continually do. It's not something we do just during the time period when Jesus walked on earth. And so, This practice of being baptized when you recognize what God is doing in your life, that God is calling you deeper into relationship, carried on throughout Jesus' ministry. And it kept continuing even after Jesus died, um, was crucified on the cross, and rose again, and Jesus gave instructions to his disciples that we're going to come back to in a moment. But I want to tell you this story of something that happens shortly after. See, Jesus dies... Three days later, God's power rises him from the grave to show and to prove that really God has power over everything, that nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can make a barrier that prevents us from coming to God if we want to come to him. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples on the day of Pentecost and there's this great rumbling sound and this great crashing. And Jerusalem is filled with people who are there for, a pa- for the uh, festival. And they hear this happening and they're wondering what's going on. And so Peter gets up and he tells the crowds and tells the people about Jesus. He tells them about, and everyone knows that this just happened, you know, 40 or so days earlier. Everyone knows that this was going on. And Peter tells them, and this is what happens at the end of Peter's message about love and hope and about everything that God has done through Jesus. This is what happens. Peter's words pierced their hearts. This is Acts 2, verse 37. And the people, the, the people said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, Again, repent is that to turn away from something and to turn towards something. And so what Peter is calling them to do is to say, turn away from a life where you've been away from God and instead turn towards God. And what happens if you go on to the next verse is they say 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church that day. 3,000 people responded 
to Peter's message about the love and hope of Jesus. Now, these 3,000 people didn't have it all figured out. They didn't understand everything there was. They didn't have all their questions answered. You know, they didn't have their lives in order. But something happened. And they were marking this inward transformation. They were marking this change of heart of saying, I want to grow deeper in my walk with God. And they were marking that inward transformation with an outward declaration. See, that's at its core what baptism is. It's the outward declaration of an inward transformation. See, baptism itself doesn't physically change us. It doesn't instantly correct everything in our lives we want to get rid of. It doesn't solve every problem. But it's this mark of declaring and saying, this is who I am. I'm identifying with Jesus. I'm identifying with wanting to grow deeper in my walk with God. And I'm choosing this path. 3,000 people were added to the church that day when Peter preached. And then throughout the rest of Acts, every time there's a group of people and when people come to recognize who God is, they take this step of baptism. They take this step of marking and basically putting a milestone down in their lives of saying, this is the declaration of what's changing in my life. So I want to ask the second question. If you've been baptized... Reflect on it for a moment. What was significant about your baptism? What was significant about that to you? And you can share it through the app, and we're going to come back, and we're going to share some of these stories and comments before we wrap up. Now, I want to tell you a story of something that happens a little later in Acts. This is around Acts 8. There's this, this story that, that I find fascinating about baptism that I want to share. And what it is, is there's Philip. It was one of Jesus' disciples. He's kind of one of the disciples that basically doesn't get named or mentioned really at all through the Gospels. Like, he didn't do anything really of significance. But he was one of Jesus' disciples, so, I mean, he was with the group whenever they did things. But afterwards, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, you need to go south from Jerusalem. Doesn't tell him why, just says, you need to go south. And so Philip starts going south. And as he's traveling... He encounters and he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch who's riding in a chariot and is returning from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And the scripture tells us that this eunuch was someone who served the queen of Ethiopia. Like he is high-powered, high-regarded. Obviously, he has some influence and some clout if he was able to convince the queen to say, you know, go take a chariot, which means he was traveling with a crew of people to, to care for the horses and to care for You know, he wasn't just traveling solo, he was traveling with an envoy to go all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem and back. Like, this is several months' journey. And so he went to Jerusalem on a purpose. And Scripture tells us that this Ethiopian eunuch went to Jerusalem because he wanted to go to the temple. Somehow, this guy from the middle of Africa knew about God and wanted to know more. And so he goes and he travels all the way to Jerusalem. But there's a problem. See, the Jewish people weren't allowed to turn people into eunuchs. And so as part of the law, they were not allowed to let someone who was a eunuch into the temple. Now, this Ethiopian eunuch would have known that from the beginning. He set out from Ethiopia to go all the way to Jerusalem, knowing that he would get turned back on the doorstop of the temple, that he would be told, no, sorry, you can't come in. And so as he's traveling back to Ethiopia encounters Philip. And so Philip goes over to him, and this is what happens. Acts 8, verse 30. 
Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he was reading this passage about Jesus, this promise from the Old Testament about Jesus and how he would come and what he would do. And the man replies, how can I unless someone instructs me? So he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And so Philip starts explaining to him from this Old Testament book of Isaiah, this Old Testament promises about Jesus. Philip gets to tell this Ethiopian eunuch all about Christ. So beginning beginning with the same scriptures, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? I find this question fascinating, this why can't I be baptized? See, he already faced rejection when he tried to go to the temple. He was told, no, you can't. And so now, as he comes to this realization that Jesus is the Messiah, this promised one, that Jesus is God who was sent into the world to, pave a, to make a way for us to know him, he says, what's stopping me? Why can't I be baptized? Because he's faced rejection. He doesn't want to face it again. But Philip says there's nothing. So they ordered the carriage to stop. They went down in the water, and Philip baptized them. Now, here's this, this part of the story that I have to include. It's just, it's crazy, and I don't understand it. It's funny. But when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I mean, could you imagine for a moment this being your experience? You're in your chariot, you know, trying to understand the book of Isaiah. You don't get it. This guy shows up out of nowhere and says, hey, do you understand it? No, I don't. Oh, I can explain it. Philip tells him this is what it means. He completely unlocks scripture. And this guy has a way deeper understanding. Then he gets baptized, and then Philip disappears. I mean, the only way, the only series of events that leads to this is this was God working for a purpose. God had a reason for this Ethiopian man to know Jesus. Now, the story, the tradition of the church goes on um, that after the writings of Scripture came to a close, they started to realize that there was this group of Christians that started in Ethiopia. And it's believed that it started with this Ethiopian eunuch, that he traveled and he was telling people about Jesus. And so the faith, Christianity, spread into Africa through this experience. But I want to come back to his question. He says, why can't I be baptized? He didn't need to be convinced that he should be baptized. He knew that he didn't have his life altogether. He knew that he had only just came to faith. There was this transformation happening in him. But his question was, what's stopping me? Not why should I? And so if, you're, if you haven't been baptized, I want to ask you that same question. What's stopping you? Why, have you, why are you saying, I'm not sure if I'm ready yet? Now, there's questions that we can wrestle through and we can work through. And, so, and that's a good step because it's something that helps us learn more about our faith. But instead of asking, why should I get baptized? A better question to ask is, what's stopping me? Why am I holding back from it? Because baptism, as we said again, is this outward declaration of an inward transformation. If we're recognizing that God is working in our hearts and working in our lives, why wouldn't we want to share that? Why wouldn't we want to celebrate and mark that occasion? Now, there's one more aspect of baptism that I want to talk about together. 
And that comes to something that Paul writes later on in one of his letters to the Galatian church. And Paul writes this, he says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now Paul wrote this because as much as we would love to romanticize the early church and say, you know, they had it all together, they did everything right, the early church was full of divisions and full of fighting and full of barriers that separated each other. And when Paul writes this, he's telling the people to remind themselves that you are all one. You are all God's children. Everyone who's put on Christ in baptism is one. The divisions between you don't matter because baptism is bigger than all of that. And so he's calling the church to unity. And baptism, you know, since the very early church until now, is still this marker of unity within the whole church. Now, sure, different faith traditions, we practice it a little differently or we have different ways that we go about it. But baptism as a whole is this unifying mark of the church. And it's something that people are being invited into. And so for us, our practice is we do baptism called a believer's baptism by immersion. And so what that means is that if you want to be baptized, you need to be of the age that you can make this decision for yourself to choose, this is what God's been doing in my life, and this is my response to it. And secondly, like we have a, we have a big tank that we pull, up and pull out and we set up here, and we fill it up with water, and we do baptism by immersion, which is kind of the way that John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples would have done it if they were in a place with deep enough water was this immersion because there's a physical symbol that happens in baptism. Now, when we baptize someone, we lower them into the water backwards. And that's symbolic of being lowered into a grave, of choosing that we're going to die to our old self. And then as we raise them and we pull them up out of the water, it's a symbol of identifying with Jesus' resurrection. Through baptism, we're in fact almost reenacting Jesus' death and his resurrection and choosing And making this declaration that that's what God is doing in my heart. That's what God's doing in my life. Not that it's done. Not that it's all settled. Not that everything is going to be wonderful from here all out. Not that we've got every piece of scripture figured out. You know, in fact, there's still pieces of scripture that I'm still wrestling over and I have no clue. You know, the Holy Spirit yanks Philip and runs him away. Why? Wouldn't it have been better for Peter or for Philip to stay with the eunuch and keep teaching him? Or maybe travel with him? The unit could have opened all kinds of doors. I don't, I don't get it. But here's the point I'm making. It's okay if we don't get everything. But what baptism is, is it's this declaration of what God is doing in our lives. See, one of our, our core mission as a church, why we're here, why we gather together, is we want to help people meet Jesus and grow in faith. Those two things. If you were here a couple of months ago when we did our Vision Sunday, you heard me talk way more about what that means to help people meet Jesus and grow in faith. Baptism is the response to meeting Jesus. Baptism is the response to saying, God's starting to do something in my life, starting to transform me. It's that outward declaration of an inward transformation. And so I want to ask this third question. And this is kind of a little more broader. It's not just about baptism, but what helps you to take steps of growth in your walk with God? What's something that's helped you grow deeper in your faith? And so we're going to kind of take a moment here, um, and I'm going to pull up the app to see what people have been putting in, and I'll read out a couple comments. And we've also got Drew with a microphone. He's going to walk around if someone wants to share and, and speak up.
So that first question, what are some signs your outward life doesn't match your inward beliefs? Feelings of discontentment, that's a common theme. There's a couple here that say discontentment. Not setting aside time for devotionals and spending time with God, even though I know it's important. Here's one, and this is all anonymous, so of course I don't know who said this, but I hate gossip, but I catch myself being involved in it frequently. Yeah, that's one of those signs of sometimes saying, you know, who I want to be and what I'm doing isn't really matching. And the last one here, just when I feel distant from God. Now, is there anyone who, who maybe has something to add? You can just stick your hand up. Drew's going to bring you a microphone. But what are some other signs that help us recognize that there's this mismatch between our outward life and our inward beliefs? Any, any thoughts to add? If we've covered it all with what's in the app, that's fine. We can carry on to the next question. <laughs> oh. For me, it's just looking at the fruit in people's lives and in my life too because I meet lots of people through work and life. Not everybody believes the same thing as you. And sometimes when I find myself getting caught up in, oh, that's their worldview, well, that's really interesting and that's intriguing and I have to stop and think, well, what's the fruit in their life of that belief system? And if I don't, if it's rotten, then it's great that they have lovely theories. But if the rest of their life is just a mess, then I just kind of discount it, which is also true for me. If people can look at my life and see just rotten fruit from all of my endeavors, from my coworker relationships, the way I speak to my loved ones, so that's, for me, is huge. Mm-hmm. What's the fruit to test that what I'm saying is true and also what other people I meet are saying is true? Yeah, exactly. That's a great, great point you bring up of saying, what's the fruit? What's the outcome of our lives? Anyone else on that first question before we carry on? All right, so the second question we said, if you've been baptized, what was significant about it for you? And a, a couple of the comments here talk about it being an outward commitment that my life was going to represent this change, um, a sign of my relationship, my intention to devote my life and be obedient to God, formalize my commitment. Um, it was something public and a step towards accountability. This is a great one, where my friends would be aware of my commitment and it helped me get past what other people were thinking about me and how I live my life. Because, yeah, there's this piece of identity of saying we're choosing to identify ourselves with Christ in baptism. Any other thoughts, anything more to add on that second question? For me, um, baptism was kind of a tough one because there were some family issues that came up um, in that there there was a bit of a division with how my parents and and siblings and my family felt about me getting baptized. Um, So it became significant for me to be obedient to God and obedient to my calling to um, live outwardly in this way, and, um, and everything turned out fine in the end. But uh, it, it was uh, kind of like a rough process going through it, and um, it was just important to, and significant to be baptized and be obedient to God and, and really submit and surrender. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Let's look, take a look at this third question. What helps you take steps of growth in your walk with God? And this is a little broader than just baptism, um, but a couple of the, the comments that came in we're saying, you know, spending time in prayer, reading scripture, talking with others, learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, being deliberate in uh, my steps. If there's something that God's kind of pressing on me and saying I need to do, 
listening to God and watching to find out where he's leading me, no matter how scary it is, and then again, taking a risk. What are some other steps of growth? What are some other maybe things you've observed in your own life or people around you that have been that steps of growth in your walk with God that you're willing to share? Um, this is going to kind of tie in question two and question three for me, but for one of them, and I answered online, so I had some different ones, but just as we were talking right now, I thought of this one. Um, for me, going to church is one that has helped me grow even in times when I was really struggling. As a teenager, I had real issues with, I believe that God exists, but I didn't think I liked him. But I still kept going to church, and I ended up having an experience where he spoke to me while I was at a service, and I was like, wow, and that changed, and I grew through what I was struggling with. And then when I'm thinking about baptism, I delayed it for many, many years. I grew up in the church, but I was, I'd already moved away from home and was at Bible college, and it was another thing where I had been, I'd been delaying it, and then we were in a service, and it came up. And I felt like God was saying, you know what, now is the time you need to do this. Um, And so there's just been lots of times in my life where making sure that I'm in a community where the people who have the same inward beliefs that I want, but even if I'm struggling with them, if I'm making sure that I'm around them, that has helped me take steps of growth no matter where I am right now. It may take a while, but just making sure that I'm around them has helped. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. See, there's one last piece of scripture that I want to take us to before we wrap up today. And that comes to one of the times when Jesus, after he rose from the grave, one of the times he appeared to his disciples. And there's this passage in Matthew 28. It's right at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus gives this commission to his disciples and to his followers who were there. He said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage of scripture was Jesus essentially giving the church their commission, saying it's time to do what Jesus was teaching them about for the three years he spent with his disciples. And Jesus knew looking forward and ahead that the church would grow and that people would come into a relationship with him because that was God's plan all along was for us to be able to come into a relationship with him. Remember we talked about that spiritual journey at the beginning? It doesn't matter where you're at right now. It matters of saying, are we willing to take steps forward? Are we willing to move together towards God? And so if you've been baptized, I want to kind of challenge you this week. Think back to what it was. Now for me, my baptism happened when I was pretty young, but my parents told me later, and I don't remember this, but I basically, they said I was too young to be baptized, and I kind of had to fight them on it and like argue why I should be baptized. They didn't know if I understood it yet. But maybe you can reflect on your baptism if you've been baptized. Think about what it meant for you and why you made that choice, and how can that help you take the next step forward? How can remembering that moment challenge you to step forward? Now, if you haven't been baptized, I want to invite you to to ask that question. What's stopping me? You know, is there some questions you want to wrestle through? And you don't have to have them all sorted and figured out before you make that choice for yourself to be baptized. No one's going to force you to. But maybe there's nothing that's stopping you. And maybe you just need the opportunity in front of you. 
So here's what we're going to do. On June 24th, it's our last Sunday here before family camp happens. We're going to do a celebration Sunday. We're going to talk and we're going to have some time to share some stories and some testimonies of what God's been doing in people's lives this year. And we're going to have some stuff coming up, kind of leading up towards that. But here's one of the things we'd love to do. We'd love for part of that celebration Sunday to be a baptism service. And so if you're at this point where you're saying, you know, God's calling me or maybe prompting me that this is a step I should take, come and talk to me, talk to Pastor Vicki, talk to any of our elders, talk to any of our leadership team, and just say, you know, I'm interested. I want to have a conversation about this. And we'll talk about it together, and, and we'll do our best to try and answer any questions you have, but ultimately the choice is yours. And the, what we do when we have a baptism is we invite you to share part of your story, part of even just a short bit of how you've come to make this decision, because it's one of those things where it, it helps you kind of put into say, yeah, this is why. This is what it means that God's been working in my lives. And it's also a huge encouragement to other people to see those stories and to hear what God's been doing in other people's lives. And we usually videotape those in advance. So if you're like, I don't want to get up front and speak, that's okay. You don't have to. Um, we can video it ahead of time. But part of this whole point with, with baptism is it's this, mark, it's this marker step of saying, I'm choosing to recognize what God's doing in my heart. And so I want to challenge you to think about that. And one of the things that we've noticed previous times when on baptisms is it almost sets off this domino effect where we have a couple baptisms and as people see and hear your story, they go, huh, you know, that's what God's been doing in my heart too. That's what I need as well. And so one of the, the cool things about baptism is it often inspires people to do the same and to take that step forward. So I want to challenge you. Think about that. If you have been baptized... What was significant about it? Reflect on that. If you haven't been baptized, what's stopping you? Let's take a moment and pray together. God, thank you that you desire such a deep relationship with us, that your love covers us, that you forgive whatever it is that's separated us from you. And Father, I pray that you would uh, be speaking to us and be prompting us and be challenging us, that if this is a step that we need to take, that you would you know, put a question in our minds that won't go away. Um, and Father, for those of us who've been baptized, would you help us remember vividly the reasons why we chose baptism, the reasons, the ways that we saw you working in our lives? And would you draw us deeper and closer to you through that? So Father, would you challenge us, would you lead us, and would you draw us deeper in a walk with you through baptism? In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Next week, folks. Guys and kids, this is your warning. Next week's Mother's Day, you know, public service announcement. But we're going to do some Mother's Day stuff as part of the service next week. And we're talking about our second faith step. Uh, We're going to be talking about community and how is community part of helping us grow deeper in our walk with God. So, folks, I hope you have a great week. Um, See you next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.